0: Hey, it's episode 294. And today we're chatting about whether or not you should go keto if you have an eating disorder or have had a history of an eating disorder. And this isn't just good for those with an eating disorder. Today's episode, we're kind of squashing through the myths on what an eating disorder is, and how to know whether or not you have a disordered relationship with food. So today's episode is great. If you look at a food and you panic because you're like, oh, that's bad, I shouldn't eat it, it's going to do X, Y, Z, you need to listen to today's episode. We're chatting about how to track macros when you have a disordered relationship with food, body dysmorphia, how to have a better relationship with those good slash bad foods, getting hooked on restriction, how to manage the delicate balance between doing right by your body which might mean restricting certain foods and then going hog wild on restriction and going crazy. The mind games we have as we follow a diet and how to kind of bust through those. And so, so, so many other things. We're joined today by my friend, Jonathan Shane, who's a certified nutritional therapist, practitioner, keto coach, and founder CEO of Keto Road, LLC. Jonathan lived a life of wrestling with an eating disorder from an early age. Emotional binge eating led to weighing 260 pounds at age 14. From there, he developed bulimia and body dysmorphia and battled them for nearly eight years. In 2017, he stumbled upon the ketogenic diet and his life has changed forever. This diet gave him the foundation to battle his disorders and overcome them. Jonathan now spends his time dedicated to helping others develop holistic health and overcome these issues. So I can't wait to get to today's episode. If you have questions about today's episode or something that we said um, you are unsure of, please, please reach out to me by going to healthfulpursuit.com slash contact. If you don't know how to spell that, or you're not sure, you can also go to ketodietpodcast.com. And in there, there are links as to how you can contact me and resources for today's show. Okay, let's do this then. I'm Leanne Vogel. You're listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. I've created a free guide with tips on how to start keto and maintain your fat-fueled life. Grab it at healthfulpursuit.com slash free as a little thank you for listening to the show. Hello, Jonathan. How are you?
1: I'm doing pretty good, Leanne. How are you? Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is a great conversation, I could already tell. <laughs> uh,
0: yes. Okay, so for people who may not be familiar with you, I said your bio, but like, can you put it in your own words and just tell people who you are?
1: Yeah, for sure. So my name is Jonathan Shane. I am a functional nutritional therapist. Um, I have been a keto coach for three years. I own my own company uh, that I coach through Keto Road LLC. I grew up emotional eater gained a bunch of weight at 14 I was around 260 pounds lost all that weight and ended up developing bulimia and body dysmorphia in that process wrestled with that for a couple years Um, and then in 2017 fall of 2017 fell upon the ketogenic diet and it really helped me uh, develop a control of my food but not really deal with the mental things and so then I started to address those and um, went into recovery of bulimia. I've been in recovery now for two years and have been actively speaking out about male eating disorders and body dysmorphia since that point.
0: Amazing. And there's so much to unpack in all of that. Specifically, I think what a lot of people struggle with is understanding why one would use a ketogenic diet when they have a history of an eating disorder. So I'd love to kind of approach that first.
1: Yeah, so this can get really science-y, which I know there's a lot of people on your podcast that that you're getting to like the, the... nutritional side of things. So that's going to be exciting. But a couple of things to look at is one, the biggest one for me was blood sugar regulation, right? So, and the reason being is because a lot of people that binge eat and, and you know and have that unhealthy relationship with food, when they do eat those foods, they tend to be high sugar, highly processed, really bad foods. And so it causes a dysregulation in blood sugar. And so your body gets hooked on that up and down, that kind of roller coaster, if you will. And so when your body's blood sugar tanks, you crave a binge and then you'll go on a binge and then you'll either you know, purge or fast or do whatever you're going to do, depending on the kind of eating disorder you have. And that creates another dip in blood sugar. And then you want another spike. And so having a ketogenic diet or a, at least a diet that's low in carbohydrates that can help stabilize blood sugar can be really beneficial. Another big thing, and I think that this goes into the nuances of like a whole foods ketogenic diet versus like dirty keto, quote unquote, is the idea of like, okay, what foods are nourishing my body with what it needs? Because I think oftentimes a lot of people think that if we just lose weight, we're going to get healthy and we're going to be able to control our hunger better. And I think that oftentimes we take for granted the fact that we are what we eat and things on the ketogenic diet, like a whole food ketogenic diet generally are going to give you the proper uh, nutrients and minerals and vitamins to satiate hunger signalings, right? And to make them function properly, you know, and that relates in brain health, gut health, all those things that, um, you know, regulate neurotransmitters are mood, right? So like if we're not producing the right amount of serotonin, that can lead to a depressive episode, which can lead to a binge, it can lead to a purge, right? And so I think the ketogenic diet from a nutritional standpoint, helps with endocrine function, blood sugar regulation, all the things that are needed to be controlled, to have a stronger foundation to actually be able to battle the mental side of these kinds of disorders.
0: I think when we say the, you know, we say the phrase eating disorder, a lot of people turn, tune out because they're like, I don't have anorexia. I haven't been diagnosed with bulimia. But can we talk a little bit about the, the implications of disordered eating relationship with food and what that might look like?
1: Yeah, so it's actually interesting that you asked that question, because something that I talk about a lot, or try to at least, is the idea that people think bulimia is just eating food and then making yourself throw up. And the truth is, is that bulimia is much more than that, right? It, it, it's the act of bingeing and purging. So, If you are, you know, chewing food and then spitting it out, right? Like that's an issue, right? Like if you're chewing it so you can taste it, but you don't want the calories, so you spit it out. Like that's an issue. If you are eating a lot of food and then going to the treadmill and running an extra three hours to burn off the calories you have, and that's a constant reaction and and uh, um, just a, a pattern that you have, that's an issue. All those are acts of binging and then purging, consuming on an emotional level and not on a a nourishing level and then reacting by purging it out whether it's through throwing up whether it's through spitting out whether it's through over exercising any of that and i think oftentimes we can and like you said right like if we're not clinically diagnosed um then you know we don't warn it we don't want to have to deal with it like i I was never clinically diagnosed with bulimia but i had bulimia Believe me, um, you know, I, I got to a point where I was throwing up blood. Like bulimia was a serious thing in my life. And so I think oftentimes it's, we don't like taking responsibility for the issues as well. And I think oftentimes we're scared of admitting we have that kind of issue because who wants an or especially men, right? Like what man wants to say, oh, I make myself throw up. Oh, I'm uncomfortable with my figure. Oh, you know, oh, this, oh, that. And so I think oftentimes we struggle with, just the ability to evaluate ourselves and honesty and, and be raw and real with ourselves. And th- things like eating disorders, you know, it can be a real struggle um, with them being able to come to the realization that, okay, I have an eating disorder, if not at least a disordered view of food itself. Right. Cause I think I talked, I was on my podcast talking to a friend and something he brought up that was really good. I just think that this is a, a good thing to think about with this conversation is you might not have an eating disorder but you might have a disordered view of food most americans have a disordered view of food regardless of whether they have a compulsive behavior that leads to self-harm i think that's really the defining line for me is like you know if you look at food and like and like Thanksgiving. If Thanksgiving is all about obsessing about that Thanksgiving meal, like that's a problem, right? But you might not have an eating disorder. You might just have a really disordered view of food. Most Americans do. Everything supersize this and supersize that and food this and food that. But when it leads to self-harm, so now you're eating until the point that your stomach wants to like just explode. You're um, eating when you're really stressed out to try and cope with life, like, like someone taking drugs or going to the bar. You are making yourself throw up because you don't want to see the scale go up the next day. When it gets to a point of self-harm, I think that's when it could be categorized as eating disorder. And I say all that to say that even if you don't have an eating disorder, you might have a disordered view of food, which can lead to the extreme. So don't think that just because you don't have it, you shouldn't address it.
0: Our Belcampo offer has been extended now till the end of January 2021. You can receive 20% off your first order with Belcampo with the code KDP. So here's the thing. Most places don't care about the treatment of the animal, the taste of the meat, the impact on the environment, or the health of their customers because they're just not involved in that segment of the industry. But at Belcampo, they do things differently with purpose. They care about all of it and they see that everything is interconnected and hopes to create an experience and product better in every way for the people and for our planet belcampo's farming practices are climate positive and certified humane and the products are rich in omega-3s with significantly less omega-6s higher in linoleic acid vitamin c b e richer in minerals and deliciously healthful fats i'm obsessed with belcampo it's next level farming with meat that you can trust start to finish delivered right to your door Get 20% off with the code KDP on your first purchase, excluding sale items over at bellcampo.com slash KDP. The code is valid until the end of January, 2021. They have an awesome selection of everyday meats and the steaks, oh, the steaks. In addition to ready to eat keto meatballs and carnitas, something for any meat eater to love. What was that realization like for you? Like, did you know the whole time that you had a disordered relationship with food? Or was there like a moment where you're like, this is actually a problem. I should do something about this. Like, what was that like for you?
1: Ooh, wow. That's a deep question. Um, <laughs> I think, I think at, at first it was, it was, it wasn't a thing. I remember, I can't remember the first time I made myself throw up, but I remember at first it was just something I did, right? Like it's something that I think I was always subconsciously embarrassed by and I was conscious of. And so I would hide it. You know, I, I didn't want people to know obviously, but I didn't really, I didn't even know what it was at first. Like I didn't know bulimia was a thing. I didn't know what an eating disorder was. I just knew that I, if I ate a lot of food, if I made myself throw up, I didn't have to deal with the repercussions of eating all the food. And so that's what I did. And I think that, um, as it progressed and it got worse, I started to, in fact, I could say this is almost like a a spiritual thing. Like God kind of showed me this. I was was looking through some things and I saw um, a, a, a documentary on bulimia. And I was like, I was listening to these women talk and I'm like, Oh, that sounds like me. I think I have bulimia. And I was like, okay, okay. That's scary. But I was so like in my voided mind at the time that I actually watched the documentaries and I took notes on what they did to make themselves throw up easier. And I started doing it. Um, so I wasn't even, it just went right over my head, but I think that was the first time I was able to categorize it. And so, yeah, I think I, until my parents found out, it really wasn't something that I was super like, this is bad. I need to work on this. Um, it was more of just like, I don't know what this is. Okay. Now I know what this is. How do I become more efficient at it? And yeah.
0: That was my experience exactly is like, uh, in fact, how I first threw up the first time was I, you know, grade seven, we had this, <laughs> oh boy, uh, grade seven, we had this English teacher that assigned each of us a, a sickness or a disease that that teenagers get. And so there was a bowl of things and I just pulled out one of the pieces of paper and I opened it up and it said eating disorders. And I was like, what's an eating disorder? I don't even know what this is. And so I went on, we had a dial-up computer at the time, totally dating myself, dial-up computer, and I'm searching eating disorders and what that means. And I started researching this. And I was like, wow, people do this? Like I can eat whatever I want and throw up? This is awesome. This is so great. I could totally do this. And that was the first time. And then, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah like maybe, I don't know, that English teacher maybe shouldn't have like chosen, like, come on. But I mean, I probably would have had it anyways, you know, but so from the very beginning, I knew, I knew what I was doing. And I knew that it was an eating disorder. And I chose it because it sounded so great. (laughs) And I think why I wanted to share this was that like you said, there's, you know, this obsession about food in our culture, but there's also this obsession about diet in our culture. And then it's so normalized that like, it's okay to fast for a week. It's okay to, you know, restrict our carbohydrates and la la la, not listening to my body, la la la, not listening. It's okay to... Eat meat for three years without a touch of anything else. So I think what I wanted to kind of bring up was this like glorification of restriction and kind of like how one balances all of that while trying to live a somewhat healthish life.
1: Thoughts? Yeah. No. Th- th- yeah, that's a great topic, and thank you for sharing that with me. I haven't actually heard like the beginning of your story in that respect. So that was. That was that I resonated with that. Sadly, it's like it's like it's funny. I was talking to somebody else about eating disorders the other day, and like I got excited. I was telling everybody who was listening. I was like, I'm not excited because it's a good thing. I'm excited because when you talk to somebody else that gets how you feel, you just feel that like it's like yes, like you get it, right? Like it's like man, that was bad. (laughs) Um, But to answer your question, I think that yeah, I think that you um, you know you really hit the nail on the head. It's like our culture does overemphasize dieting and this idea of like restrict 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 until you get to your goals like you know have grit and you know blah 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 and there's really no look at like okay what do I simply need to to be healthy what do I need to to thrive not not like die because I don't have anything on my body you know I have no fat no muscle nothing I'm just like starving myself restricting myself until I get to this idea of what you know culture says is health But you know what? What do I need to be healthy? And I think it comes down to mindset. You know, I I know that uh, we've had a discussion about this before, but it's like you know that idea of perspective, of empowerment over restriction. I think that, and this is something that I try to really get across to people. It's like when someone tells me, "Oh, keto is restrictive," I'm like, "No, your mindset is restrictive," right? Like no one's telling me I can't have cake. No one's telling me I have to eat just meat. No one's telling me I can't have this. I'm choosing not to have this and I'm choosing to have that. And so I think oftentimes, you know, people really struggle with developing that kind of empowered mindset of like, it's my choice. And I think that there's for two reasons. I think for one, it's because we like to live a very, um, like we have like poser syndrome, not imposter syndrome, poser syndrome, where we look at somebody else doing something and being successful and going, I want to be them. And so we jump on that wagon. And if that means not eating anything, but meat for three years, that's what we do. But we never stop to consider is this what's best for me? No, we go, it's working for him. I should jump on that train. Right. And so we have like this poser syndrome, especially in the low carb keto space, health space. And in general, it's terrible. We had, we had like this poser, this poser thing that we like to impose on ourselves. Um, and we don't even realize we're doing it, you know? And I think the second thing, and this kind of falls into the first part, the reason why we have that struggle with empowering mindset is that we don't like taking responsibility for ourselves. Humans like to be right. We like to just do what works. In fact, we're really bad about just like, if it doesn't work, we don't even acknowledge that we did something wrong. We just push it to the side and then, okay, I'm gonna try this next, right? Like we don't take the time to look at, okay, what is right, what is wrong? I need to take responsibility for myself. So we lean on somebody else to tell us what to do instead of saying no. I need to be responsible for my health choices. I need to be responsible for my health decisions. And then empowering yourself to walk through life, making the choices that allow you to function at your best instead of just like, oh, I can't have these foods because that person has a six pack. So that means I can't have the foods that they can't have. Mm,
0: Yeah, when I realized that everything that I was doing was a choice, that was a big turning point for me of like, I choose not to have grains because I get a really itchy scalp and my psoriasis flares up and I don't like it. But there are times when I choose to have grains and I'm choosing to have that psoriasis for at least a week. (laughs) It's just like, okay, do I really want an itchy scalp? Yes or no? Mm, I really want that sandwich. So I'm going to say yes to that. And to kind of have that choice. I think a lot of people don't understand that it's a choice.
1: Yeah. No, I agree that 100%. Like I've had clients and they're like, Hey, when I eat a peach, my arm gets a rash. What should I do? And I'm like, if you don't want a rash, don't eat the peach. If you don't care about the rash and you really want the peach, eat the peach, <laughs> like, like make your decision and own it. And here's the thing too. And, and this is one of the big things for me is like, I always tell people, like, I don't, like, I care that you're successful if you're working with me or while you're working with me, but I care about where you're at six months after you're done with me. Like, Do you know how to make your own choices or are you constantly leaning on everybody else to tell you what you should or should not be doing? Are you constantly chasing the latest fad, right? The the latest, the latest fasting challenge and the keto space, the, the latest, this, the latest that, right? Like, or are you really looking at things and going, okay, this looks cool, but how does it apply to me? Is it worth doing right? Like, let me weigh my options. Let me see, are the pro, do the pros outweigh the cons and make an educated, responsible, empower decision about your personal health choices.
0: Mm, Completely. And you mentioned a little bit ago, like, what do I need to be healthy? And I'd love to just go through perhaps your kind of check. I'm sure you have like a checklist of like, I feel best when dot, dot, dot. I'd love to just kind of get a sense. You said mindset was one of them, but are there other things, you know, if you eat I don't know what foods you're sensitive to or that throw you off or anything, but are there certain things that you are criteria that you look for for yourself?
1: Yes, of course. Yeah. So coming back to, I'm very big on, especially with my body dysmorphia, I'm very big on making sure that my serotonin is producing optimally, that inflammation is low so that the nutrients can get through my blood brain barrier and things of that nature. Um, very much so. And so Uh, I look for a couple things, right? So I look for gut health. So I try to have two to three servings of fermented food a week. So like, at least every other day, I'm eating something fermented, whether it's kimchi, sauerkraut. Um, I can tolerate dairy. If you can't tolerate dairy, don't eat yogurt. But I can tolerate dairy, so I have some yogurt. So like, something fermented or cultured, and that's going to help with spore-producing bacteria in my gut, which is going to help produce gut bacteria, which. Fun fact for everybody listening, it doesn't directly impact mood, but it does help with regulating inflammation, which allows those nutrients to get to the brain, which does allow for mood serotonin in your brain to be produced. So it is important. Don't neglect it. Gut health is key. So I try to do fermented foods. I also try to eat a lot of meat. I think meat is king when it comes to regulating eating disorders and mood disorders. Because if you're not giving your body enough tryptophan, you're not producing serotonin. And the minute those mood swings start, it's really easy to put yourself back into a a dark space that can trigger those habits. Um, So animal proteins every day, no matter what. Red meat, I really like to get at least four to eight ounces of red meat a day. And then healthy fats, of course, I'm constantly looking for healthy fats. One thing I do avoid is grains. I had a fun trial with black rice. Did not go well. <laughs> uh, that was not fun at all. I try to do when it comes to carbohydrates. I really I don't think that carbohydrates directly impact serotonin production. But I do think that depending on where your cortisol's at, and I know that you you specialize with women, so I know you can speak more about that than I can. But from what I've noticed, depending on your activity level your mood and your gender and hormonal situation Um, sometimes carbohydrates can be good for resetting cortisol which is obviously going to impact inflammation which is going to help with all that so when i'm running i'm doing endurance training um so on days i run i do targeted keto so i generally have some sweet potato or some some uh, kombucha squash post run. Um, and that really helps with my inflammation. And yeah, so those are kind of like the the general things that I do to help specifically with my health. Um, I do know that sugar alcohols are something that I choose to enjoy that do not help me in any way, shape, form. Like I know circulose is so bad for my gut, like it hurts, but like I eat it anyways. <laughs> um, but I choose to eat it. So it's fine. It's fine. And so, and some people would say, oh wait, so if it's not healthy, but you choose to eat it, it's fine. Yes, because you're owning those decisions. And if there's negative consequences that come out of that, then that's your decision. And that, and that doesn't make it okay from a health perspective, but it makes it okay from an individual empowerment perspective, right?
0: keto flu, impossible fasting symptoms that stop you mid fast cravings at any hour of the day or feeling off after a sweaty workout. These are all signs that you're low in electrolytes. Now, when I first started keto, I made all of the mistakes. One of the big ones was not supplementing with electrolytes and still seven years into keto, I often forget just how essential electrolytes are. Honestly, it's easier to forget to take electrolytes because, well, a lot of them don't taste very good or work very well. But here's where Element is different. This is the most delicious, well-balanced electrolyte powder that I've personally tried. Add to water and enjoy any time of day. These electrolytes are salty. They are so salty, just as they should be, quenching your thirst and hitting the spot. And the best part Head to drinklmnt.com slash KDP to receive a free Element sample pack. You only pay $5 for shipping. The sample pack includes eight packets of Element. That's two citrus, two raspberry, two orange, and two unflavored. Go to drinklmnt.com forward slash KDP from now to the end of January, 2021. And if you don't love it, they will refund your $5, no questions asked. Again, that's dot lmntcom forward slash KDP to get your free sample pack from now until the end of 2021. And if you don't love it, they will refund your $5, no questions asked. Enjoy your electrolytes. You you mentioned um, hormone resetting, carbohydrates, uh, ketogenic diet. I find to keep it really simple is follicular phase, do hardcore keto a day before your ovulation. You can start having carbs. Do not fast. I repeat, do not fast before ovulation, during ovulation and following just one day. And then it kind of turns into... Eating the carbs, more paleo ish. Maybe you're fasting a little bit after your ovulation for like two or three days, but then it's like you're eating carbs, oranges. That's like my jam in the luteal phase. And so we're steak buddies. I feel like I definitely eat more steak than you, Um, but no, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) Really? Um, But uh, okay, I defrosted a beef heart this morning. Have you had beef heart before?
1: Oh, so I've had better. So I went and shot this antelope. It was like a 700 pound antelope and we took it and I harvested the heart, the liver, the kidney, and all the muscle meat. And I made this organ blend. I had like 60 pounds of it. This like organ blend. So good. I know that doesn't answer your question, but that's what came to my mind.
0: <laughs> okay. So you mixed all the organs together or what did you do with it?
1: So I so I took a meat grinder and I put the liver, the heart, some of the muscle meat, and some sugar-free Peterson Farms bacon, and I ground it into beef. And I made beef patties. I made spaghetti with it. I made bolognese with it. All kinds of stuff. It's so good. Okay. You want some? I got some in my freezer.
0: (laughs) That sounds amazing. (laughs) It's so good. Okay. You mentioned body dysmorphia. What's that?
1: So body dysmorphia is a neurological condition where the person that has it, dis, disorder dis, um, blah, 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 blah. They have a disordered view of themselves. They distort themselves. And so a really good example I like to use of body dysmorphia is people with anorexia, right? Because when they look in the mirror, they see someone fat. And while you see somebody that's really sick, they're not just saying that because they don't like the way they look. No, like, most people with anorexia when they say they look fat like they think they're fat like it's not it's not like a joke people bodybuilders right like the really big ones some of them struggle with muscle dysmorphia which is a subset of body dysmorphia and they really do think their arms are small like, like like they look in the mirror and they see a distorted view of themselves with you know people like me like something i've always struggled with is like my arms like some muscle dysmorphia mine like my uh my waist things like that but like if i'm in a bad mood i for some odd reason like i do i look in the mirror and it sounds weird it sounds like you're making it up but like it's almost like a depressive episode because body dysmorphia and depression are kind of like cousin disorders it's like when people have depression you're like well why aren't you just in a good mood you know, like get in a good mood. And it's like they don't get it. Like the person just can't. Like there's something in their brain that's not functioning right. And it's distorting the way they feel about themselves, the thoughts in their brain. Biodysmorphia is no different, right? Like when my serotonin is not producing right and I'm just in a bad place and my serotonin's low, my dopamine's low, like I just, like my, my body just, the way I look at myself, I literally distort the way I look and I become exposed. I become exce- uh, I'm compulsively excessive about my my body image, and I, I walk past every mirror I can. I look at my shirt, and like I grab my skin on my stomach and I shake it, and just like completely beat myself up. And you know, and how uh, one good indication of body dysmorphia is like I've had this a lot where I've prepped for bodybuilding shows, and like I look at myself while I'm prepping, and I feel so fat. I lo- I feel like, oh, you look so fat, and you know, all these nasty thoughts would cross through my mind. And then afterwards, when I was back to normal weight, I would look at the photos and go, dude, I was so lean. What was wrong with me? But I really did have like this weird, distorted view of self. And yeah, so it's, a, it's an interesting disorder. It affects like 2.6% of the population. So it's, it's, it's rare in the general population, but I don't think it's that rare in the health space. I think a lot of people struggle with it
0: you're so right i know with my experience with body dysmorphia after i had bulimia or during bulimia it was kind of like all stacked on like a triple stack burger kind of happening all at the same time it was like bulimia and then anorexia and when the anorexia started i started experiencing body dysmorphia and actually even though i had recovered I mean, then I had orthorexia and I was working to recover. It took me 12 years to look at a picture of myself from that time and actually see how sick I looked. And at the time I thought I was so chubby, like I would, I would bend over in front of my mirror when I was getting ready in the morning and I would see like blubs of fat and I remember taking a picture of myself and I found one of those pictures a couple of years ago. And like, I don't know what muscle it is that goes around the ribs up to the front, but like you could see them on both sides. My, my bones were all sticking out yet. I did not see that. And even as I was recovering, I would look at pictures and be like, no, that's disgusting. Like I look so fat and disgusting. That's what I would say all the time about myself. It took me 12 years, just like, it sounds like for you of just like actually seeing how big of an issue it was. And something you said also was grabbing your skin. This is one of my triggers that still exists to this day when I'm grocery shopping or when I'm choosing something to eat at a restaurant, or I'm a little bit confused about, about food. I'll grab my left side with my right arm and I'll just like touch my side. And I don't know. Like, it's just this lasting little tick that I have. But then I know when I'm doing it, I'm like, oh, right, okay, center myself. It's okay. Do you just need a moment? Do I need to like go to the washroom and then choose something from the menu? Like, to just, okay, I'm freaking out a little bit and it's okay to just kind of collect myself. Do you have any of those where, you know, even though you're recovered, there's little like trigger
1: points that you watch for? Oh, yeah. So my big, my big twitch is, looking at my my stomach in the mirror. Whenever I get stressed out or I'm busy or I'm so busy, but somehow I have the time to go into the bathroom and lift my shirt up and look at myself. Like somehow that's gonna give me reassurance of that I'm an okay human being, but I do it. Like if I'm super busy, or I'm super stressed out, or I'm super anxious, or I'm super upset, for some reason, I'll walk to the kitchen or whatever, but I just, I'll go in the I'll go in the bathroom and lift my shirt up, grab a little, <laughs> turn the light off and walk back out. <laughs> I don't know why I do it. I don't like, and it's like, it's like now like I, I feed myself the proper things and so my mood's good. So like, it's not like I have a, it's not like I look fatter today than I did yesterday in my head, but it's just like, it's just like a, it's a bad twitch that I picked up from when I did have a lot of disordered views of myself. And so like, I don't know, I'm a mirror baby and I hate it. I absolutely hate it. It's like it's like um I don't know if someone had smelly feet but they can't help but scratch their feet so they scratch it anyways knowing that they're going to have to smell it. Like that's like that's exactly what it's like. It's like why do I keep doing this? I hate it. Oh, I got to smell it. I got to deal with it, but it's like I just it's like a compulsion. <laughs> Things
0: are being honest with us about the smelly feet situation. Yeah. That's
1: fun. Oh no, that's not my smelly. No, feet. I know. Thing in
0: <laughs> I just love I just love comparing it to smelly feet. That's
1: so great. I'm going to totally look at my Twitch completely different now. <laughs> yeah, just be like, okay, I need to stop smelling my feet today. Thank you. <laughs> yes, I love one, it. One thing one thing you said and I know this is your show, but one thing you said that I liked, I found interesting was you said that you started having the eating disorders and then the body dysmorphia kind of came with that. Whereas I found that my body dysmorphia, my eating disorders were a manifestation of my body dysmorphia. So when I was a kid and fat, I got bullied a lot. And then when I lost all the weight, I started to get girlfriends and friends. And so I associated being accepted, being accepted, with being skinny. And so I got this really, this fat phobia developed, which turned into body dysmorphia. Because if I would gain a pound, I would look in the mirror and I thought I, lo- I was fatter. Like I really, in my mind, I thought I was. And so that led to my development of bulimia, right? And so what I had to do was, it's interesting. I feel like we're kind of, I think that's also why mine... Re- was a little bit different why it took you so long. And then my, my perspective, my turnaround in terms of the way I viewed myself was a little bit different was because for me, it was to get rid of the bulimia. I had to get rid of the body dysmorphia, which means I had to look at the lies that I told myself about myself, which was you're fat, you're ugly, you're only acceptable if you do blah. Right. And then that's like where my faith comes in and realizing that like, you know, the only thing I can find worth isn't in Jesus. Right. And like, without that, I have nothing. I'm, I'm Jack. And finding worth in that and value in that, I think, you know, and being able to clear up that lie and replace it with a a truth that's constant, I think is what really allowed me to deal with both of those disorders.
0: That's a really good observation. Yeah, I think because I loved food growing up. I loved food and never really thought about my body. You know, like I, I liked, I didn't really even think about my body. And it wasn't until, you know, reading that paper and then starting to think like, Maybe my body is bad. And I mean, there were things that led up to it. You know, I was a dancer and I was a tall dancer, and I was never the dancer that was paired with a partner because I was too tall and too big. And that never really bothered me, but it was like this constant thing. So I think, yeah, the eating disorder came and then I didn't see how bad it got. And it got so bad and I just couldn't see it. So the eating disorder was definitely first like the, the bulimia wasn't so much body dysmorphia, but as I became more and more anorexic, that's when I just didn't see how bad it was. And I would look at my body and think that it was bigger, way bigger, way bigger than what it was. Even when I got down below 90 pounds, I mean, I just didn't see, I didn't see, I just didn't see. And, you know, I think I think it's different for everyone, but I just, I love that, yeah, that you made that observation because I- I didn't even think of it that way.
1: Yeah. Well, I just, and, and and I, the only reason I look at for things like that is because when working with people, right. It's like, I've Like the manifestation, like the fruit that's bared from the tree isn't the issue. It's the root that's nourishing the fruit, right? So it's like, okay, what's your root, right? Like I get it that your fruit was by dysmorphia. My fruit was bulimia. But if your root was your eating disorder and my root was my body dysmorphia, then that's what needs to be addressed. Because until that gets dealt with, it's just going to keep producing more fruit.
0: Yeah, really good point. And, and I guess that goes into my next question. You know, you were talking about um, a whole food diet, and all the things, as we start to heal, what I noticed, especially with an eating disorder is that I was lacking in so many nutrients that like that root was like completely rotted and i had nothing to build on what has been your experience with your clients with yourself um in the nutrient space to kind of get your body to that place where it's easier uh, i don't want to say easier but like more more likely to be able to heal uh, to be able to say to heal from an eating disorder
1: yeah, so I definitely think that's where like the nutritional foundation can be really beneficial, right? So we're gonna look at like, okay, how much protein are you eating every day? Okay, how what what kind of fats? How much fats and what kind of fats? Because all of them affect you differently, right? Like, and again, I try to explain to my clients like the term like you are what you eat is very real. Like if you're eating Twinkies, your body's made out of Twinkies and a body made of Twinkies is not a good place to stop you from overeating Twinkies, <laughs> right? So it's like, okay, how can we bring in this nutritional foundation of, of good amino acids, you know, all the essential amino acids, all the healthy fats, right? We're going to want to avoid things like rancid vegetable oils, things like that. How are we going to get you some of the phytonutrients and the minerals that you need, the fermented foods, the gut health, right? Are we going to get you in enough vegetables, enough fiber for you as an individual? And then just kind of, you know, work on those things. And I think that's the thing that really comes down to too, also is like bio-individuality because like, I really don't need a lot of fiber, right? If I eat a lot of fiber, I just get gassy and it makes me not eat fermented stuff. And then my mood gets all swiggy. So like, I just don't eat a lot of fiber. I have other clients that 20, 30 grams of fiber, they feel like Kings, you know, Kings and Queens, they just feel great. And so like, it's, you know, based on like, okay, what do you need as an individual? But I think that just if anybody's listening that, that, you know, wants to know some ground rules, right? It's like get in plenty of animal proteins and animal fats and animal fats. You want them to be grass fed, definitely grass finished, you know, especially pork and chicken. I know pig or cows. I know cows are a little bit different. You know, I know that there is a difference, but it's not near as great of a difference in terms of like the changes of omega-6s to threes as it is with like, uh, animals with only one stomach and no room in it, like chickens and pork. It's like, if you're eating grain fed pork, Like the fats there are dramatically worse than a pasture-raised pig or a pasture-raised chicken. So make sure that depending on the meat, your eggs, right, that you're eating proper ones, because you could be getting in, you know, all your veggies. You could be avoiding all the bad foods, but if you're eating really estrogen-filled, you know, nasty fats and they're compromising your immune you know your endocrine system they're compromising your your stress response your inflammation then that's going to get in the way of you feeling better and putting yourself in a good place nutritionally to deal with eating disorders in terms of like i'm curious if you wanted me to dive into like macros intuitive eating blah blah blah.
0: sure whatever man
1: yeah (laughs) okay um so i think that macros and and this is the thing is some people struggle with this because like you you, there's a lot of people in the space that do like the whole like. you know, don't restrict yourself. You should do intuitive eating. And again, I think restriction is a mindset. It's all about empowerment. I know that for me, I did. I had to do it in stages. I couldn't just eat intuitively. I had no trust in my body. I had no trust in my hunger signaling. I didn't trust myself at all. And so I had to first rein control in, and I no, starting off with some macros, you know, and, and trying to hit those macros and really making that a focus and bringing in that control And just making it to where i was consistently not over consuming largest amount of food for no reason really helped me foundationally nutritionally with my eating disorder and then i think once i got to a point where that was healthy and it started to creep into like kind of like food anxiety and like oh if i go over my macros that's bad right like i started to notice that now i was getting a little bit too over compulsive with it if that's the correct term then I was like, okay, now it's time to go. Now it's time to branch off into some more intuitive stuff and see if I can develop that trust. Because, you know, it really comes down to what you're trying to do when it, from like a food perspective is you're trying to learn to trust your body and have your body trust you and have that healthy relationship, the healthy communication between your you and your body as it relates to food. So it was like, okay you know, now that I've gained control of my food, okay, now I need to start communicating with my body in a more intuitive way and see if I can develop that trust, that bond that has been burned from years of bulimia and and everything else.
0: Yeah, thank you. And um, something you said too, when it came to macros, I think a lot of people that maybe have a disordered relationship to food, uh, they start following these macros. One is, the first one is, I have a fear of carbo I have a fear of fats. <laughs> and so they're like trying to push themselves, but they're scared and they don't know. And then finally they hit the fat thing, they're not scared anymore and that could have caused some binges, purges, overeating things as they're trying to figure this out. And then I find phase two is often... Now I'm terrified of carbohydrates. And when I'm stressed, overwhelmed, something, I'm going to be binging and purging or just binging and whatever. I'm overeating carbohydrates out of shame. Thoughts?
1: Yeah. So again, and I know I sound like a broken record. I think this really comes down to the thought of empowerment, right? Like, are you making empowered decisions or are you making restrictive decisions? When you decide to go to a ketogenic diet and get on those macros, are you like making decisions towards your fat because you you've always been told you've always been restricted of them, and so now it's this scary space? Or are you empowering yourself to make the right decision based on what you've studied or what you need to do to get healthy? And the same thing with carbohydrates, right? I feel like it's no, it, it shouldn't be. Oh, I can't have carbs. Like anybody on keto can have carbs. You could eat carbs right now. I could go and eat carbs right now. I'm choosing not to. Because I know that where I'm at right now, they would not do me any benefit, right? It's not that I can't eat cake. I choose not to eat cake. And I think why that's an important distinguishment to make is because when they have that, oh, I'm scared of carbs, oh, I'm scared of fat, when they do decide to hop over that fence, break that barrier now it's all hell breaks loose because I've broken the rules. I'm, it's, you know, I'm in the, I'm in the area of no control. I self-control is out the window now because I have broken through this, this restriction, this rule that I had. And as you know, humans are extremely rebellious. And so once we rebel, we rebel hard. And so it's this idea of like the restriction. It's not just that Restriction is bad because it takes responsibility from you, which isn't good in terms of long-term health. But also, it makes it to where when you decide to have that food, you just go overboard. And so, I think people that are struggling with, like maybe maybe their coach, maybe they're a female or they're an endurance athlete and they're a male, and maybe their coach is trying to get them to reintroduce some carbs in a strategic way, and they're scared. I think that the important thing is to be empowered and make your decision based on empowerment and not restriction. Not like oh, these are bad, like. Like, I remember I was starting Targeted Keto for my marathon training. And I remember the first time I sat down to have sweet potato. It was the hardest bite of food I have taken in three years. And I look back at it now and I feel so stupid (laughs) because, like, I took it and I was like, this is good. And then nothing happened. And I was like, wow, all that, like, anxiety over uh, something that grows from the ground. I am, in, I'm insane. <laughs> um, and you know, and that's when I started to really realize that like, I don't have to be afraid of this food. I can either choose to eat it or choose not to, but realize that like, if I choose to eat it, you know, nothing bad's going to happen. It's not going to like kill me or anything. And, but if I choose to eat like a cookie, you choose to eat a cookie. And if it gives you gut problems, you own them gut problems. Right. And know that you chose those gut problems. And so I think it really comes down to to a sense of empowerment, honestly.
0: I really hope you're enjoying today's episode. I'd love to see where you're listening from. You can snap a pic and tag me at Leanne Vogel or leave a review for the show on your favorite podcast player. It helps me out tremendously. Okay, back to the good stuff. How's your approach to hunger cues as it relates to disordered eating? Because I know for myself, you know, having starved myself for, I don't know, over a decade, it was very challenging to know when i was hungry when i wasn't it took like a couple of years um thoughts on hunger cues and regulation of those as we're working toward regulating our
1: relationship to food ooh that's a hard one for me i'm still working on that so i started i started my intuitive like trust my body journey in like april of this year and so it's been it was a challenge the first 3 months were extremely difficult because like I felt like I was overeating, but I was trying to listen to my body and like, I was getting obsessed about the scale again. And then like, so I would like over, I would feel like I quote unquote overate. And then so the next day I would make sure I underate and like, and then I'm like, wait, I'm not, I'm not eating intuitive right now. (laughs) I back up, John. And like, it was this huge, like constant tension in my head. And it brought me to tears a couple of times. Like, like people don't realize when you really like severed that bond with your body, it's really hard to mend and it it it's very stressful and it takes a lot of time and it takes accountability and it takes having someone to talk to and walk you through it because you really it's crazy how how much disordered eating can affect you after the fact when you're trying to heal from it uh, one thing i will say one thing that i did that really helped was something called post tracking and so what i did was and Granted, you have to be at a place where you have to be okay with what the numbers are, right? Like, understand that there is no goal, there is no macro goal, right? But what you're doing is you're trying to see what your body's telling you, and like, so because the way I look at it as our body communicates in hormones, right? Like, we all know that, all most nutritional specialists know, like, our body speaks to us in hormones, we tend to speak to our body in terms of nutrients and calories, right? And so. I found that when trying to mend that hunger cue and hunger signaling, post-tracking is a great way to translate. And so basically what you do is you'll eat during that day. And the key is to be extremely mindful of physical fullness in your stomach, not in your head, and your stomach, because sometimes these two aren't connected anymore, right? And so it's, okay, I'm gonna eat slowly and I'm going to see, okay, am I satisfied? Not am I stuffed, am I satisfied? Do I really need this next bite? And then you're going to write down what you ate and then you're going to go on. And if you get hungry 30 minutes later, five hours later, I don't care. Then you're going to eat again and you're going to write that down. And then at the end of the day, you'll take all of that and you will put it in your tracker or whatever you have. And then you can see like, what is your body telling you at once? Right. And so it's a semi controlled way of communicating with your body through translation to slowly start to build that trust. And then I find that when you do that once a week and then twice a week and then three times a week, And then you get to a point where you're post tracking every day. You're not tracking anything until after you've eaten until you're satisfied. Then you can start playing with, okay, I, and and you'll see, you'll notice if you do it right, there might be a little inconsistency, but most days are really within 300 calories of each other. It's really rare that we see like huge upshoots and huge downshoots. And so you start to build that consistent trust. And then you can kind of just like get rid of the tracking altogether. And then you can like try days of not doing it all because you know that you know what the hunger feels like and you were able to translate it. So now you can trust your body without the translation because your body's not going to change just because you're not writing it down, right? You've been learning how to trust it over that that period of time.
0: It's so interesting that you mentioned this because the one thing that triggered me the most and set me like way back was when i bought what was that book like intuitive eating and they have like a scale and you sit down before every meal and you're like how hungry am i on a scale of 1 to 10 and then you eat and you're like how full am i on a scale of 1 to 10 and this brought so much attention and like so much mind power behind my eating that i started obsessing about the numbers even like well like I, I'm i a hunger of scale of a five. So maybe I should wait until I'm a seven. And I got like so confused and so overwhelmed that it was like almost the opposite to me of at first I had to force myself to eat. And that was because I hadn't been eating and I didn't have any hunger cues at all. So I had to, I had to just force myself to eat. But then there was this really interesting period right before I tried to muddle it up with intuitive eating. And I think I just, I was trying to go back to a place that I had already accomplished. And this was like, I'm going to let myself eat whenever I'm hungry. And if I doubt whether or not I'm hungry, I'm going to eat anyways. And so every time I mildly felt hunger, even if it was that I woke up at three o'clock in the morning and I was like, I could eat something. I would go downstairs. I'll never forget the first time I did this. I made like a huge batch of paleo waffles. And I sat there for like over an hour and ate all of them. And just like trying to understand... My hunger cues. I think that if I had brought in the the scale and the fat like the understanding, intuition and like how hungry am I before that, it would have worked really well. But then I did that after. And then I was like, oh, I'm putting too much weight on all of this. And it really triggered me. But I agree with you. I think working one on one with somebody and I did throughout this period of a coach that kind of said, like, here's what we're going toward. And for me, it was more of a body image coach to really help me understand how how little it actually matters. Like I had a hard time understanding how I could be an active member of society and not be 110 pounds in my case. What was that like for you to kind of
1: shift all of that? That was extremely difficult. I I struggled with that for a while because I mean, that was my root issue. Like my root issue was if I was not 170 pounds, which I'm I'm six foot. So for me like that and for a man, that's that's tiny. like if i'm not 170 pounds soaking wet then like i'm not worthy of anything i'm not worthy of friends i'm not worthy of a social life i'm not worthy of anything and so having to realize that you know one like my worth and who i am is not defined by any man at all whatsoever I think was really important for me, you know, and I, and I go into this with, with clients too, like spiritual health to me is huge. Like if you do not have a constant foundational spiritual health, then being able to understand who you are and your purpose in life is, almost impossible like we all need humans crave purpose right and so it was like well at first my purpose was to, you know i didn't have one so it was like oh my purpose is to be 170 pounds then i can function in society and then realizing that that was a stupid lie and it was okay well what's my actual purpose oh well my purpose is to, uh, you know, to imitate God and to share his message with people, right? Okay, great. What does that look like? Does that mean I have to be 170 pounds? No. Does that mean that I have to have abs? No. Does that mean that I have to, you know, emotionally eat? No. Does that mean I have to make myself throw up? No. Right. And then it's like, you know, does that mean that I have to wear, you know, certain clothes? No. Does that mean that I have to have friends that always agree with me? No. Does that mean that I have to look like Instagram models who take perfect photos and perfect lighting, and then edit it and remove half their stomach? No, like right, like you know, over and over again, I had to redefine what purpose and what I had to be to to showcase that purpose. Which I came to this realization that like I don't like I don't have to fit these these boxes to to, to pursue. What I'm meant to do, and no one does, right? Like, I I made this post a while back, and I was like, Health does not equal abs. And so often we have this image of what health is. It's this distorted, you know, cultural image of what health is. You know, men have abs, women are super slender and wear like super tight clothing, right? And it's like this idea of like sex cells. And so people are like, Oh, if I don't get to that, I'm not healthy. And I'm like, and, And it's sad because I see people reach peak health for them. And then they start to ruin themselves because they go past that point to try and reach and fit into an image. And so for me, I really had, I I struggled with that for a while. And it probably wasn't until, it probably wasn't until my last bodybuilding prep that I got down there and I looked the best I'd ever looked in my entire life. I mean, six pack, I mean, I looked great and I felt miserable. I was miserable. And I was seeing all my friends that had, you know, friends in the space that had abs and they looked great and they felt great. And I was like, I had to realize that like, that's just them. And I don't need to look like them to be healthy. I need to figure out what healthy it looks like for me. And so then I had to work through that. You know, I put on some weight and I started to feel normal. And I was like, you know what? Like, why is everything so, why are we so fixated on body image? Health is, health is, okay, can I do my purpose in life optimally? And if that comes with abs or it comes with a type zero ge- pair of jeans, great for you. If it doesn't, great for you. You need to be chasing what health is for you as an individual, and that's. I think that was one of the things that I really had to wrestle with and develop in my own my own life and my own journey.
0: Wow, that was said so beautifully. I think what I heard also was a level of pride you know, like what you were talking about earlier is we're like kind of looking over people's shoulder. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing over there? What, you, what What's your secret? Right. And there's a level of pride of my story is very similar. You know, I've realized actually, I don't really like running and I don't really like swimming really fast or biking. Hey, actually, I don't want to be a triathlete. And I don't, it's so hard for me to push, push, push against all these CrossFit people. And it's really natural for them, but I feel like hot garbage. When I stand up, I'm dizzy all the time. My hormones are a mess. I haven't had a period in eight years. This is not working for me. Um, You know, like, I think it's a lot, it's like pride. It's, and I think I made a video probably about six years ago, as I was realizing that my goal of, sit, of fitting into size, I think it was like size two, I wanted to be a size two, I had it in my head, a size two, and I've always been a size 11, like, for, you know, like, that is my natural default size. And I have realized, you know, I'm measuring my hip bones, and I'm trying to figure out, I can't be a size two, I'd have to literally cut one of my hips off. <laughs> To fit into a size two. Yet for years, like over ten years, I was like size two, size two, size two. I think there's a level of pride. Like you just need to drop, you just need to drop it. Thoughts?
1: No, I mean I agree with that. I never actually, you know, it's interesting. I'm always telling people that the root of all of our issues is pride. But I've never actually taken the time to associate pride with that. But we do, we think of like opposer syndrome, right? And it develops in this this place of pride is a weird thing because it generally develops from a place of insecurity which is odd because pride is all about you know gloating and being boastful in oneself's ideas and thought processes and not giving them up so it sounds confident but it's not it's usually rooted in this place of like i'm not okay with being wrong because i'm not okay with myself I'm not okay with, uh, not looking a certain way because if I don't, if I don't get there, I'm not okay with myself. I'm not okay with, you know, not eating a certain way because if I'm not carnivore and I eat veggies, then I'm a failure. And I feel like that because I can't seem to finish anything because I don't like myself. Right. And so like the sense of pride and holding on to these ideas and not being able to really take time and go, okay, like, what is like my you know my business is the keto road. It's this idea of like your keto road's different than mine, right? Like fat metabolism is king. I think we all think everybody should be able to metabolize fat in a healthy way, but it's like your vehicle is so different. It's like you're if you're not a Mercedes and you're a Prius, that's great. Prius get great gas mileage. You don't need to be a Mercedes. <laughs> um, and so like you know being able to like really come to terms and like you said drop that pride. And come to terms with the fact that like, be confident in who you are. Don't be prideful in who you are and and, and make this fictitious mask wearing human being that's trying to act like something it's not. Drop that and have confidence in knowing that you are searching for what's best for you and what your health looks like and realize that that's never going to look like somebody else's and that's okay.
0: Jonathan, you're amazing. Where can people find more from you?
1: Yeah, of course. So, uh, my, um, you can find me at the keto road on any platform right now on Instagram. It's at coach Don. F N T P, but I plan on changing it. So if you can't find me on that, then it's at the keto road as well. So the keto road on everything, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, parlor, YouTube,
0: all of the places, and all, all I will include rooms. all the links. <laughs> I'll include all the links uh, down below if you're watching this on YouTube, or if you're listening to this on your podcast player. All of the links to connect with Jonathan and whatever uh, account that he has, and te- what do you call it, handle?
1: Handle, <laughs> handle yeah, that the he handles. has
0: <laughs> will be will be there in the show notes. So, thanks again for coming on the show today and hanging out with me. I really appreciate you sharing your brilliance with everyone.
1: Of course, thank you so much for having me. I had a lot of fun.
0: I hope today's episode has really helped you, or perhaps you know of somebody who would benefit from hearing this. Also, feel free to share it with them. Next up on the podcast, Sunday, February 7th, episode 295, we're chatting with Brian Delisandro on the CBD pros and cons. We're answering all of your CBD questions. And then episode 296 I'm doing a Q&A episode so there's still time to submit your questions before I record that episode so head on over to healthfulpursuit.com contact ask me your questions and as always if you want to get in touch with Jonathan our guest today um, and check him out on Instagram and see what he's up to I will include links in today's show notes on that Okay, I will see you next Sunday for another episode and I hope you have an amazing day. (laughs) Bye.